Hey, Rakesh, welcome. Welcome to the Stickman Cyber Knowledge Series. I'm glad you could make it here, and, and thank you for being generous with your time. Uh, if you don't mind, could you please introduce yourself to the audience uh, who will be watching this uh, this knowledge series later? Back to sure thing. Thanks, Ajay. Uh, th thanks for having me. It's, it's nice to be here. Uh, the name is Rakesh. Uh, I, I run uh, Governance Risk and Compliance for Bakrot. Uh, globally, when what I'm responsible for, I I run it in three or four verticals, pretty much. One is you know uh, risk and compliance and things like that. The other one is assurance metrics. You know, there's another vertical that I look at, which is which sort of leans into risk, but it is more around policy, making sure our policies are business aligned and then it, they're consistent with uh, you know the compliance and regulatory requirements and things like that. Uh, and the other one is third party risk, which is what you know you guys help us with. So that that's pretty much my world. Uh, I've been with Buck Crowd for about a year now. I, I just complete one year next month, which is great. Uh, before this, I was with NAB for about a year, uh, National Australia Bank. And before that, I was with JP Morgan Chase for 15 years. Uh, wow. Based out of Singapore for the most part of it. So, pretty... And you're originally from India? I am originally from India. <laughs> which you, you, could, you can't miss that, can you? <laughs> So I know we 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 come from the same state. Uh, we do uh, in India, Kerala. It's a beautiful place. So so yeah, it's it's good to meet. Uh, uh, I, of course, we I've known you for over a year, but just for our audience, so that they know uh, the background and and heritage of where we come from. I think we come from the same place as well, even in Kerala, right? I think you're from. Yes. So my dad's from Calicut, mom from Ernakulam. Yeah. So. Or coaching. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. No, great, great. Thank you so much, uh, Rakesh. Uh, so let's, let's, I think that third area, third party risk, I think there's been a lot of talk about it over the last three to four years, especially. And I'm beginning to see in the last 12 to 18 months is where it's, it's taken on some momentum, right? Especially with large ablations. But, but just to help us understand from your perspective, why? Why third partiness? Why is it important for your business? That that's a great question. I mean, from my perspective, I, you know, I, I told you I work with JP Morgan Chase and you know these large corporates. I have been seeing third party risk management done really well for years now, right? But once you get out of that, you know, huge company aspect of things, when you move on to like not so big companies, the, the, I I sort of get a feeling that it's not taken that seriously, which is why. When I joined Buck Crowd, one of the first things I wanted to do was to set up a third-party risk program, which is how I reached out to you and things like that. To me, it's very important, especially because in a in a time now where we using and before I get into that, let me tell you what third-party risk management is. Uh, for me, third-party risk management risk is the risk that you inherit when you work with a third party. Could be a vendor, could be a trading partner, could be your solutions provider, could be your web hosting company. Your entire software hosting company or whatever. So the risk that you sort of carry on or bring on to your company just by working with another company is third-party risk, right? And you sometimes you don't, you're oblivious to what risks they carry and with those risks, how your company may be impact, impacted just by working with them, right? You need to have visibility into it, which is why you need a third-party risk management program. The way, uh, and, and in now in this world, 
there's a lot of things that accompany with with the evolve you know evolution of SaaS and things like that. Businesses get a lot of time to focus just on their core business and outsource a bunch of other things, right? Which mm-hmm. increases the number of work you know third parties that you end up working with more than ever, which sort of increases the attack surface for a bad actor to kind of look into your company because they have earlier, it was just one company doing their stuff, doing everything. Like, you know, they're building servers, they're building IT, they're running their core business and everything. For an attacker to get to you, there was just one way, right? It's they have to look into your company. Now with the supplier, you know, supply chain expanding big time, there's a lot of endpoints into your company, right? Which is what uh, has been happening. If you if you look at the recent breaches that we had, like you know, solar winds, Kaseya, everything is a supplier risk, supply chain risk, right? So you you end up attacking a vendor who is supporting like a bunch of other customers. You immediately get access to a lot. You know, your your surface area expands big time, right? So you don't have to necessarily target that one company, which. Which is the reason why any company who needs, you know, who's serious about security, who's serious about risk, needs to have a third-party risk management practice. Get serious about how they look at their vendors, their security posture, what do their technology controls say, and and things like that, so on and so forth. We can we can we can talk about this in detail if you want, but yeah, that's right. No, no, that's that's a great introduction and and summary of why third-party risk, right? I think the biggest challenge I see in the industry is when we speak about this with potential clients who are looking at this, they're unable to determine exactly what that risk means. Like I always use this example with physical risk or, you know, physical environment risk, like, uh, you know, where you could say, oh, they could, this is a flood zone and this, this area could be flooded and our business can be non-operational for a number of days. Hence, you would make some provisions for flood management, right? Or if it's a very high risk, you know, prone to some kind of, you know, malicious attacks or bombs and stuff, then you put extra barriers and, you know, in the physical environment. I think, you know, I want to hear from you how how you got your organization's current and in the past on that journey to see yeah, it's easy to say oh, I'm connecting with so many third parties, so then there's a risk. But, but what is the risk to me? Like, what is my so companies are struggling to understand? Yeah, I get it, right? You know, it's like I'm giving a driver to drive the car. Now the car is in his hands. I've outsourced the driving to somebody else, right? There is a risk, right? If they if that driver crashes the car, or you're in a bus and if that driver crashes the bus, you have a risk, right? So we use. We use third-party services not even by thinking sometimes, right? But when it comes to IT and information and data, where what are you? What have you been able to accomplish to educate your internal management and boards to get them on this journey? I would like to hear that. Yeah, uh, and this is always a challenge, right? I mean, getting budget to run the programs that you want to run from the board or from your executives—it's it's always a challenge. My my take on this is, I, I read a stat uh, some time back. I think the average age of the board in the U.S. Uh, is 60 or something, right? Which, which sort of tells you that they need not be necessarily tech savvy. They need not be tech necessarily cybersecurity savvy or third-party risk management savvy. What do they know? They know business strategy. 
they they know capital allocation, right? So these are the things that the board is predominantly responsible to do. Make sure they're allocating capital to get the return on their investment from a business standpoint. The way you get funding for your program is to kind of changing that language to the language that you understand, they understand, right? I don't think as a CISO or, you know, or, or, a, or as a cybersecurity leader, my job is to educate the board on cybersecurity. I'm not here to tell them how you could be DDoSed or how, it, how a DDoS would work or, you know, or, or a supply chain attack would work. I change that language into, and you need to quantify the risk that you would end up carrying and things. So let's translate that into business risk and tell them, listen, if we happen to have a breach through this channel, this is how much money we would end up losing, or this is how much business that we would end up losing. Now, what we could do is if you give me this much money, I should be able to bring that loss of business risk to this much, right? And you quantify that, you you know, you know kind of tone it down to a level where a two-year-old can understand and go to the board and tell them, see, this is the thing, give me the money and I'll, you know, and this is probably the potential return on investment on the business that you will make by, you know, starting up this program. And it's, it's the same for any program, you know, if you're asking for a SOC, if you're asking for an application security function, you know, anything, it, it's the same logic that I use. Yeah, it's kind of a like a you're we are paying an insurance premium, but you're 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 also paying or not to make a claim essentially, right? If you have a breach, because I think all these things are interrelated. You know, I have had customers tell me potentially customers say, oh, we don't need security, we've got cyber insurance, but it's like telling my home insurer that I'm going to leave all my doors and windows open, but you have to insure. But I've also got very expensive stuff in the house, you know, very val high valuable stuff. But sorry, but I won't be locking my doors and windows, but you still have to insure me. So the journey, what I'm seeing is insurers are also taking a very strong stance on cyber saying, if you don't have the controls, right, we're going to up your premiums and your excess is also going to be quite large. Like I have organizations come and tell me that, hey, um, we've got 5 million insurance, but guess what an excess is? It's like half a million to a million, right? So by the time you can even access the claim, you have to still spend half a million to a million before you can access the claim. So all that premium you're paying is really going into the insurer's pocket. Rather, you invest that money in a cyber program which can potentially reduce your premiums and also essentially more so protect your business. The the it, it's very similar to personal health life insurance, right? I have you know term insurance. I have term coverage. If I die, my family is going to get some money, but I don't want to die. You know what I'm saying, right? I don't want to die so that my family would get money or whatever, right? I want to survive. I want to survive every day, and I want to grow, right? So the last thing I want to do is have an impediment in terms of a cybersecurity risk and that impending my, you know, or that uh, having a, you know, a stop on my growth uh, strategy. The the reason what, excuse me, cybersecurity policy, insurance policy sort of gives you peace of mind, but a strong security program to me gives you a lot more peace of mind. You can then go focus on your business strategy and not, not necessarily worry about it you know, the, the excess and things like that. Quite. Yeah, so 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 I think it's, it, for me, it's it's about 
that whole education process, right? Many businesses still don't understand, you know, what, like, ransomware is very easy, right? When you look at cyber risk, you say, okay, only a system will be locked down. But if somebody is able to access, I think where it, for me, what hits me really hard is, is and also find it very difficult is to let people know how valuable their data and information is, right? So, so, so it, it's been, it's it's been a journey for us as a business too, and for many of our clients to understand what is the true residual risk for the business, right? You know, and even some tech companies say, "Oh well, we don't need to do this," right? And I'm like, "Fine, but have you performed a risk assessment to even disqualify that it is required or not?" Right? So, 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 so that is where we we need to we need to build that that process of educating and understanding and helping the business understand that these are all your crown jewels, right? You know, this is where if this kind of information or this kind of data leaves the organization or is stolen or is put in the public domain, that's the impact it could have essentially, right? So it's, it's, it's a, another dark hole that we can get into and talk for days, right? In terms of how to educate, uh, you know, the larger industry, right? in terms of the importance of each of these. And and the problem is, and this is why I love working for Buck Crowd, right? Where, you know, you you are with the thing with cybersecurity or the thing with risk management is you need to be always a step ahead of the bad guy, right? That's the only way. You, there's no way we're going to be able to prevent all the breaches, right? What you need to be able to do is it, and, and it's a given, right? Everywhere I go, I tell them, you know, you're, you're going to get breached at some point, right? That's it, Kibben. You will get breached. Now, the problem is how you come out of that. I mean, the thing that you need to worry about is how you come out of that. We're not here to like make sure that you don't get breached. That's going to happen, right? Buckroud, which is where Buckroud, and, and I'm not like doing a Buckroud pitch here, but we leverage, you know, tens of thousands of white hat hackers, like cutting edge pen testers, cutting edge hackers to kind of come up with, you know, identify vulnerabilities, which is why, you know, leverage the crowd. Bad actors are from the crowd as well, right? You don't know the guy, you don't know the face of the bad actor, but here, the white hat hacker guy, you know the face, you can, you know, vet the guy. And he's probably more skilled than the bad actor, right? And and this is a conversation that people need to sort of understand, is you, you the, the, with the, hacker, you know, the why do people breach? It's for monetary benefits, right? Closer home, when the Optus breach happened, the guy who did the breach, he finally said, you know, I'm not going to do anything with the data. The reason why I went public with the data is because Optus did not have a, you know, disclosure program that I could go to them with the vulnerability that I found and monetize the, you know, the research that I have done. So if a company had a program like that to tell, you know, identify to, for somebody to, if they identify a vulnerability, they could come and tell the company, get paid for it. That works. Then they don't have to sell data. That's a different conversation as well, which is why I said, you know, this could go in many, many different directions, but kind of drawing that back into third-party risk. What we need to tell them is, you know, tell people is quantify the risk for them uh, and tell them, look at the recent breaches that has happened, right? Take SolarWinds. It was a supply chain risk. Take Kaseya, supply chain risk. You don't have to necessarily, you know, it's it's not your company necessarily that's a target. It's another company, right? 
another company gets breached, you get impacted by it. Right? Is your insurance going to claim it? I mean, is your insurance going to cover it? Don't know. You, you're not even going to know when you, you know, how you got hit or when you got hit if you don't have a, at least if you don't do the due diligence. The other, other aspect to it is you're not going to sign a contract with a company without going through the contract, without having an, you know, a legal guy look at it. Why would you sign a contract without having a cybersecurity guy look at it, right? Legal compliance and cybersecurity, I look at them through the same list or same lens rather, sorry. It's all to protect. Are we lost uh, Rakesh? Necessarily vendor risk. Sorry, Rakesh, we lost you for about yeah. uh, five, five, ten seconds. Uh, no, I was just saying, I look at, you know, third-party risk and legal risk through the same lens, right? You don't buy insurance for for you know for not looking at going having a lawyer take a look at your contract to me it's the same no no i get that yeah so so i want to touch upon one very critical thing on which we are facing across across many organizations is the third party risk assessment entails performing some kind of a quick q and a question and answer session with with the third party to understand what the risk is what is how are they managing cyber and so on and so forth. But we get a lot of responses from our clients saying, oh, these third parties are not responding to this questionnaire, especially the big guys, right? So so what's your take on that? And should it become mandatory as part of uh, an engagement where this investment of the size and how much you spend with a third party? We, we, we see that all the time, right? And it's a big challenge. The way I would, and this is, we, we sort of went through this with Buckcrowd as well recently. Big companies like say AWS or Google Cloud or whatever, they do have assessments that they have already done. For example, Google has a cyber, you know, there's a company called CyberGRX. Google has a, a validated tier two CyberGRX assessment that they've published on their website already, right? So you can just go through it and get a view of the risk that they carry or, you know, they, they're sort of a, an understanding of their risk posture. Then you look at what kind of certifications do they have. You sort of take comfort from the industry certifications that they've had. Like, for example, ISO 27001, SOC 2. They're not going to get those certifications ideally without having a solid risk management program or a soft, you know, security program. So that's one way to do it. Internally, what do you want to do? The whole idea of risk management is not to like eliminate risk altogether. right? It's to bring that risk within your tolerance level. You define a tolerance level, which is what we have done now. You define a tolerance level and say, well, for these, you, I've tier rated all of my vendors, right? Mm-hmm. I've tier rated them as tier one, tier two, tier three, right? And and my scrutiny goes, you know, is higher for each tier, right? So the tier one is the highest and tier three is the lowest. Now, if I have a tier one vendor who's not responding to my questionnaire, what would I do? I, I would look at what's available, right? Do they have certification? I'll try to take comfort from whatever certifications they have and things like that. If not, I'll go back to my business and ask them, Is are these people really somebody who want to, you want to do business with? Because I'm completely blind, right, into the risk that we are carrying by allowing you to onboard that vendor as a risk. If, if the business says, 
yes, we absolutely need to work with them. We go for a risk uh, risk acceptance, right? So you write up everything. You write up all the information that you have. You sort of and go to that business owner and say, hey, this is what we know about this vendor. This is the blind spot, right? You know, you if and it's your call now based on your business priorities, because I don't want to tell a business that don't go work with this vendor because that probably would be the, the major business driver for them. They, they would probably bring in the most business. In. So mm-hmm. that's not my call. It's the business's call. My job is to kind of give them that visibility to what is the risk that we would be carrying if they went and worked with that vendor. And the risk acceptance level also goes higher with the tiering, right? So I would say if it's a tier one vendor and we're not getting any visibility, I would want my you know business executive to sign off on that risk assessment, my CISO to sign off on that risk assessment, or and and even my CEO if if that's the case, right? So create that visibility at the top of the house. And if it's a tier two vendor, maybe I'd be comfortable to have the director of that business sign off on that risk acceptance. So it, that that's how you plan it, right? So it, you can't you don't want to take a decision that I'm not going to allow somebody to not do business with this company. If that business is going to be like your biggest revenue generator, there's no point in telling don't go do business with them, right? Mm. At the end of the day, we are all here because of the business. That's one thing that we need to understand. Uh, There's a big saying that goes, the the best way to eliminate risk is to stop doing that thing that is causing the risk. Shut down your business, you don't have any risk. Right? It's like don't cross the road because you could still get run over even if the road is empty and suddenly a car comes. So if you want to eliminate the risk of crossing a road or not getting hit, don't cross the road. <laughs> it's, it's all about creating that visibility, helping people make those educated decisions, right? Oh. It of, tomorrow, th- these are the things that can happen if we went to this vendor. We have done this due diligence. This is the excuse me, blind spot, this and that is the risk that we're going to carry if we still go ahead. Would we accept it? If the answer is yes, from the right levels, we go ahead. Well, very, 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 very beautifully said, right? Because a lot of organizations are struggling with this and they're like, oh, should we switch off the agreement with this, with this vendor? Should we do something else? And then they go looking for this information online and through other sources and stuff. And it's like they keep going around in circles and not going, and that's that's great. Obviously, we've been advising them on different strategies to do this, but I think the whole whole game here is to, you know, as you said, on you know, it's not about eliminating all the risk and not having any risk at all. There'll always be a risk, but we need to ascertain, have conversations with the business, and align, and 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 at least make a informed judgment rather than closing your eyes and saying. Or uh, let's hope nothing happens, nothing bad happens, and move on. I think that's where most of the organizations are struggling because this whole uh, this whole journey of oh, you know, I hope nothing happens uh, compared to let me do a risk assessment and see what the risk really is, and then make make that judgment from there on. Correct, and and also like I said. At the end of the day, this whole thing, it's a game of return on investment, right? You, n- none of us have unlimited resources, be it money, be it manpower, whatever. You have to prioritize these things, right? If you're a company that works with 1,000 vendors, you can't look at all those 1,000 vendors through the same lens because you don't have oh. the resources, you don't have the money, you don't have the people. 
you have to prioritize. So you bucket them into like, okay, this is my most important vendor, or this is the list of my, you know, I, I, I perceive a lot of risk here because they probably have all my confidential information. They have my customer's information, blah, blah, blah. Then there's another bucket. So when you do that, it adds a lot of clarity in terms of, you know, how you want to look at, right, each of these vendors. So that's that's a that's a great way of sort of reducing that noise as well. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think these are the two key things, right? You know, why do I need to do it? How do I go about doing it? How do I find scenarios from where people are not responding or organizations are not responding to to these risk cases, right? And and obviously there are other tools which has become quite prominent in the market of running third-party scans, which is on, sorry, scans on third-party based on information available on the internet, right? Yeah. So so running wonderful key scans, doing dark web monitoring on that particular vendor, that's been quite, I would say, you know, it has its pluses and minuses because you're looking at the organization only from the outside. You don't get access into the organization. The into the organization access is only with with regards to that questionnaire which you send and you're hoping that you get the right information back. But running these scans and doing threat intelligence on the third party is something, you know, it's a it's sometimes a hit and miss, but sometimes you get some really valuable information yeah. about that business. To to me it's not a binary, right? It's it's not either or. It a solid program should have all of these, right? You need to have your questionnaire, you need to get that comfort level. And then threat intel from the external world is super important as well. So can, you know, and, and it all, again, depends on your resources. How much clarity do you want to drive and things like that? Which is to me as a, you know, a CISO or a, you know, senior leader, that's your job, right? To give, get the money that you think will be enough to drive that clarity, right? Using whatever avenues. And, and, the way the industry is going, you're getting a new tool every other day, right? Intel is like going crazy. So, um, yeah, the, there's plenty of things out there that you can leverage. No, wonderful, wonderful. Prakish, uh, I think we have covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> the past, I don't know, about 20, 30, 30, oh, almost 30 minutes now. Sure. Uh, any Any last words in terms of, you know, uh, some giveaways, you know, top three thing, best practices in your view in managing third-party risk for our audience? To to me, it's, uh, I would say it this way. I think a lot of our third-party management practices or heritage, if you, you know, traditional third-party risk management, traditional application security management programs and all are sort of maturing up from my point. The world is, you know, very quickly moving on to SaaS and, cloud and AI and crypto and things like that. The the way, to me, every, you know, we've started, if you look at supplier risk, right, third-party risk predominantly, if you look at a software, we've started, you know, I, I think the amount of software a company writes have gone down tremendously, right? Hmm. Use libraries, we use open source libraries, GitHubs and things like that, which sort of changes the attack vector now. It sort of changes the surface now. So we now need to look at, you know, S-bombs, for example, you know, software bill of materials. W what is this? What does that look like? So we, we sort of need to play catch up here, right? So 
look forward is what my thought process is. I mean, get the traditional uh, risk management practices in place, but then we need to quickly adapt to how the world is changing as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Rakesh, uh, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. 100%. No, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, this has been great. Always happy to kind of spread some wisdom, right? <laughs> no, thank you so much, Rakesh. You have a good one. Huh? You too. Have a good day. Thanks, Ajay. Bye-bye. Thank